Okay, so uh, two weeks ago, it was sunny. Uh, yep, it was 85 degrees. And it was as far as I could tell, because you kind of add a little breeze into that, a little light breeze, some partly cloudy kind of, but 85, sunny, little cloud coverage, a little bit of breeze going on. And as far as I could tell, it was pretty much uh, uh, climate perfection. That was two weeks ago at about 2 p.m., about 1,700 miles south, uh, where our family was uh, vacationing. And then, all of a sudden, uh, some interesting thing happened. Now, by the way, that perfection created in us like a lot of joy, right? A lot of satisfaction. Uh, like, this is awesome. And then, we got on this plane at Punta Gorda Airport, and uh, I was wearing a t-shirt and shorts and a very white, bright hat. And then about two and a half hours later, as we took off from Punta Gorda Airport, uh, something radical happened. In about two and a half hours, as we landed at the blustery Niagara Falls Airport, it was 40 now. 40 degrees, and the wind chill probably made it feel like about 20. And you know, just the change in location did something to all of our attitudes, right? All of a sudden, we weren't feeling that joy anymore, that satisfaction. We were not excited about where we were. It was freezing, it was windy, and our demeanor had completely changed. Some of you also went on vacation and felt that same thing. Some of you did not. You have been miserable since October. Um, but, you know, God loves you nonetheless. <laughs> it's interesting how where we are has an impact on how we feel, or maybe even more so, how we're living. Where we are has influence on how we are living, how we are behaving. Now, people make fun of me a lot for asking this very annoying question. And even Jordan, probably three months ago, was jabbing a little bit at how I often will ask, how's your heart? Uh, basically taking inventory about where your relationship with God is. Right? It's easy on the surface to see how people might be doing. But to ask a question about your heart, like the state of your being, is to dig a little bit deeper. And so I'm going to ask it in a different way this morning. Uh, where are you today in relationship to God? It's a very personal question. It's intended to dig beneath the nice outfits that we have on this morning and the smiles on our faces. Where are you today in relationship with God? Now, some of you may be thinking, I'm doing quite well because I'm up in church, yo. Right? That just because you're here this morning, fulfilling some sort of religious duty or ritual, that you must be close to God. Because this is the sanctuary of the Lord that we're in this morning. And so we're close to God. All of you know that this is 
no more special than my basement, this room. Like, it's not really holy in and of itself, right? So the question is, where are you in relationship with God? And I would say that as annoying as that question may be, and maybe as uncomfortable as you are right now with me asking it, if you're truly taking inventory about where you are in relationship to God, uh, that um, I would say that there's no more significant, significant question than that. Of all the questions you have, of all the things going on in your mind, of all the things you're wrestling with today, that, that, that seems so pressing and seems so significant, this one goes to the top of the list. Where are you, where am I in relationship to God? What is my standing before God? There's nothing more significant or pressing than that question. There are two ways to answer this question, where are you in relationship with God? One is the subjective answer, that is just how you're feeling about it, right? Just kind of the up and down nature of experiences. Well, I feel kind of far from God because I haven't read my Bible in a couple weeks. Or I've been neg neglecting Him in prayer. I feel kind of far and distant. Those are significant things to be thinking about. But there's another way to answer that question. And that's the way that we're going to hone in on, at least primarily today. Where are you in relationship with God also has an objective answer. That is, no matter how you're feeling today. No matter what experience you're wrestling with today. No matter what is going on in the 9 to 5 and in your relationships and at work and in your, in your decisions, no matter how you're feeling today, there is an objective answer to that question, where am I in relationship with God? And today, the book of Hebrews and the author and his reassuring of the readers of that time of their objective standing before God that no matter how they feel, it is true, it is right, you can bet your life on it. I think he wants to give us some reassurance here today as well. About where we really are. And at the same time, uh, this is, in Hebrews, we've heard a number of warnings about, listen, this is reality, this is who God is, this is what Christ has done, there's no one like him, he's done something unlike anybody else has ever done. He is supreme. He is better. End of story. And on the basis of that, your response to it is significant. And if your response is inappropriate, your response is out of step with what God intended for you, then guess what? You will suffer the consequences of such a response. And it's a warning for us. There have been warnings throughout Hebrews. If you quit on Jesus, if you walk away from Him, there will be eternal consequences for such action. And so today is the final warning. Some of you are like, phew! Somehow Mike's, Mike gets all the warning passages. Man, it's a little much. So today I think there's a wonderful truth to be proclaimed. That there's reassurance for you the objective work of God. And there's a warning, a gracious warning that is intended to keep us where God has us. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 12, 18 through 29. Hebrews chapter 12, 
18 through 29. Verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given, that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Verse 25, See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. At that time His voice shook the earth, but now He has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Verse 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. This is the Word of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. What in the world is going on in these opening verses in Hebrews chapter 12, 18 through 29. Well, basically 18 through 21 and also some references along the way are really referring to uh, uh, an event that took place long ago, at least in the minds of the readers, in the history of God's people. This goes old school, all the way back to our last year's series in Exodus. Many of you remember the long series we had in the book of Exodus. Well, there was a, a, an event recorded there in Exodus chapter 19 where the people of Israel had come to the base of Mount Sinai. If any of you remember that moment where the people of God were there at the base of that mountain? That's what's going on here, right? Now, imagine what they were thinking in that, at that time. In the middle of the wilderness, at the base of a mountain, 
The people of Israel, you could imagine them asking this simple question. How in the world did we ever get here? Right? And now, if you ask that question, you look way back even then into their history, you remember. Now, I just saw Joseph and the, the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? Uh, my, uh, my daughter's school, they just did the play on Friday night, so I'm a little bit in tune with that whole story. But So as you're asking the question, how do we get here, you remember back into their history that Abraham and his descendants were in this area of Canaan, and then he had kids, and then he, there was grandkids, and then all of a sudden there was a famine, and they fled to Egypt, and their brother that they had kicked to the curb and sold off was there leading in Egypt, right? So the people of Israel had journeyed to Egypt, they lived in Goshen, and then after Joseph had died... Uh, people forgot who they were, and Pharaoh began to enslave these people and take advantage of them, the Israelites. And so for over 400 years, these people lived in slavery. And you can imagine the people standing at the base of Sinai were asking the question, after 400 years of slavery, saying, how in the world did we ever get here, at the base of this mountain? And along the way, they were sick and tired of being in the wilderness. They were so, so hungry and thirsty that they would have gone back to slavery just to eat and drink. But they're asking the question, how did we get here? And if you look back in Exodus at the story, it's amazing to see, right? The, the way in which they got there, they came to the base of that mountain, was because God had heard their cries in Egypt. God had heard, and then God began to act in a miraculous way, judging Egypt through a succession of ten plagues, and then the final one, the Passover, right? He, he um, redeems them out of slavery. He literally buys them. You're my people. I'm taking you to be my own people, and you are going to be out of slavery, and I'm going to bring you to that land that I promised to Abraham and his kids. So again, they're asking the question, how did we get here? And the answer was actually quite profound. They did not get there of their own accord. They got there because God had brought them there. Right? They got there because God had brought them there. God had redeemed them by the blood of the Passover lamb. He purchased them. You're my people. And then He led them out. And He passed through the sea and the Egyptians were no more, and then all of a sudden God's people found themselves at the base of this mountain, recognizing that if it wasn't for God, they wouldn't be here. How many of you feel that this morning? Where are you in relationship to God? If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't be here. Wherever you are in relationship to God is because God brought you here. God bought you, and God brought you. That's the, that's the foundation that we preach every single week. If it wasn't for God's grace, God's redemption, God's blood on our behalf that bought us, that, if it wasn't for God leading us to where we are today, we would not be where we are. You are where you are today because God has brought you there. And so these people standing at the base of the mountain, they're, they're interacting with this God that descends upon Sinai in this fury, in this cloud. 
He's trying to he's he is revealing himself to his people and how do they respond to this? Yay! God's come to us. Woo! Is that what they did in Exodus 19? They said, "Please stop talking." Right? As God is revealing himself in this mountain, they're begging. They're begging uh, through Moses Don't let God talk to us. You talk to us. They were scared out of their minds of what they were seeing, what they were hearing, and the experience that they had at Sinai. They had come to this place, and this kind of experience was frightening to them. They engaged the holiness and the awesomeness of God, and they were scared out of their minds to the extent that they said, please, don't let God speak anymore. It's too much for us to handle. And yet what's interesting is the author of Hebrews is referring back to this and he's saying, this is not the place that God has brought you. It's the same God. Just think about that for a moment. It's the same God. The God of Sinai is the same God that has saved these people through Jesus Christ. It's the same God. And He did so through redemption and through the blood of Christ. Amen? It's the same God. But what He's saying is that these people have not come to a place like Sinai. That what can be touched and seen. That this place that they have been brought to is radically different. It's altogether different than the kind of place and therefore the kind of response that would come than Sinai. Right? You've not come to this place. Not come to this kind of experience of fire and darkness and gloom. The sound of a trumpet, the voice of words made the hear, uh, whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages would be spoken to them. No, he goes to verse 22. You've come to Mount Zion, not Sinai. You've come to an altogether different place through what I've done in Jesus Christ. You've come to the city of the living God. Not the wilderness. The city of the living God. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. To the innumerable angels in festal gathering. To the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. To God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus. This is where you have come. This is where God has brought you, Hebrew Christians. An altogether different place than the fire and the tempest and the cloud and the, and, the, uh, and the awesomeness that invoked fear of Sinai. No, you have come where God has brought you to Himself. God has brought you to God. God has brought you to Jesus. God has brought you to, in, in, uh, through His covenant. On the basis of his blood, which the book of Hebrews has reinforced time and time again, that this is a better covenant, an effective blood, that truly does secure for us forgiveness of our sins. That truly does open up for us the ability to approach God. An altogether different place that God has brought us through the work of Jesus Christ. He's brought you to himself in his heavenly city. Now, some of you are saying, nope, 
I'm in Syracuse, and I'm looking at you. Right? Because we're so quick to look at where we are from a, uh, the here and now perspective. We're so quick to measure where we are on what we're seeing. We're, we're, we're consumed with the mirror. We're looking at ourselves, our lives, and we're saying, this is where I am in relationship to God. And we have no concept of eternity. But what he's saying is, no, you may feel like this is where you are in relationship to God, but let's be clear, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've seen Him in all of His glory, and you've trusted Him by faith, this is where you are objectively are in relationship to God. You are brought to Him in His heavenly city. It's as good as done. That's the kind of standing that you have before God. And you have been included in this joyful, festive gathering as the people of God in heaven. Do you feel that today? That you're standing before God in Christ is one where He's brought you to Himself and you are a participant and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Can you appropriate that kind of heavenly blessing today through what you're hearing? I think so many of us are living in the present struggles of everyday life trying to figure out what is going on. Where am I? How did I get here? How did we end up at this point in our relationship? How did our dialogue turn into this? How did the business come to this point? Where did my career... We're so consumed with all of that that we miss out on the objective reality of where we stand before God. And I want to tell you today that, that you stand before God in heaven, redeemed, purchased by Jesus Christ. You could not be any closer than you are right now to Jesus, assuming you trust in Him. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can't be any closer to Jesus if you are His than you are right now. And again, you're saying, well, someday. I understand what you're saying. Yes, there's still, this world is still very present in our lives. I get that. We're still wrestling with sin. We're still dealing with the flesh. We're still dealing with evil in our world. But I want you to see the way God sees you today. That if you are in Christ, you are close as you will ever be to God. This is where you've come, not to Sinai, but to Zion, a citizen of heaven. You're, you've come to Jesus. You belong to the people of God. You're not coming to a dreadful place, but of a festal gathering, a joyful celebration in the presence of God. Some of you have been craving that kind of assurance and all that you're wrestling with. Where am I, Lord, really? I feel far from you. I know my actions and my attitudes and my behaviors are not really consistent with that kind of citizenship, but remind me where I really am today. Show me the effectiveness in the eternal significance of the blood of Jesus. Show me the good news of the gospel. Remind me, Lord. Well, today you've received that reminder. And if you've never heard this before, understand this, that this is central to our message here at Renovation Church. That God has brought us where we are in Christ and nothing can take it away from us. 
Amen? No one can steal it. No one can tear it down. No one can steal the joy that we have because of it. No one can take that away. That citizenship is signed, sealed, and delivered through the work and the blood of Jesus. That's what Hebrews has been pointing out all along. That this is the good news of the gospel. That God has done something. He saw our spiritual state. He knew uh, what we deserved. He understood the sin that we had. He sent Jesus into the world to live a perfect sinless life, to die a substitutionary death in our place for our sins so that He might bring us to Himself. God wants to bring you to Himself. And what He's saying to these Christians is don't forget this, what I've done for you. Don't forget where I've brought you. If you're wondering where you are in relationship to me, for those of you who know me by faith, you have gone as far as I could have possibly brought you to myself. First Peter, Christ died the, the, un, uh, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring us to God. <laughs> to bring us to God. We're chasing down the American dream. We're trying to get the most out of this life. But God's already given you all that you need. You don't need more than God. Oh, how we need to appropriate that. You've not come to Sinai. Come to Zion. God has brought the one who trusts in Jesus to himself in his heavenly city. That is where you are. Please Write it down, remember it, say it, remind your wife, remind your husband. Anchor that sucker into your brain because it transforms everything about your life right here in the here and now. I'm not trying to get you to escape and detach from reality into some blissful state that never makes uh, any difference Monday through Friday. I'm talking about something that's so eternally significant that it radically transforms your Monday through Saturday. But if we don't latch a hold of the eternal reality of what God has done in Christ, we will never truly have any difference in the way that we live and respond to Him. Where are you in relationship to God? Christian, you're in Zion. And if you don't believe in Jesus, please do so. Join us there. And see that it is God that has done all that is necessary to bring us where we belong, in His presence and in His city. I could keep going on, believe you me, but I won't. Yes, I will, by asking this question. If that's true, if God has really brought us there, if you're really a citizen of heaven, if you've joined the festal gathering, if you've been brought to God, if you've been brought to Jesus, What is the appropriate response in your life to that? Right, because if that truth is profound and it's real, it's going to have impact on our lives, right? That's the nature of the Word of God. That's what the Gospel does. How do we respond to the work of God to bring us all the way to Himself on the basis of His grace through His Son, Jesus Christ? Well, that's what He's saying to us here comes in the form of three very simple calls and a warning embedded right into it. 
See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Verse 25. On the basis of what he's done to bring us where we are in Christ, he says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Based on where God has brought us, let us respond with an attentive ear. Listen. As parents, we're using that a lot lately in our home. Right? Listen. We hold our ear. Right? And the understanding is, is that the listening of the ear has a direct connect to the heart. It's like a string that connects the ear to the heart. Right? That the true hearing is not just mentally processing, but it is, it is processing in the deepest part of who we are. So to listen attentively to God is to obey the Word of God, to live a life of obedience, right? We cannot miss the emphasis of this command. See to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. See to it. That is, live a life of intentional listening to the Word of God. That means schedule listening to God. That means think about, ponder, strategize, plan what it looks like to hear and respond to God. That's not just going to happen whimsically. It's not going to happen on accident, listening to God. Right? Our default setting is to not listen to God. And so because of that, we need to be careful then to listen to God. In his word. Pay very close attention. Take great care. Have great concern that you do not refuse him who is speaking. That was the responsibility of the people who heard the revelation at Sinai, right? Listen. I'm revealing myself so that they will hear me and that they will believe in me. Right? That's back to Exodus 19. So they were called to listen. And all the more, we are called to listen attentively. Peter O'Brien says Christians have an even greater responsibility than Israel to listen attentively to the voice of God. Right? The, the argument is from the lesser to the greater. If they didn't escape, when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. And there's our warning. If we reject God, if we refuse His word, we will not escape. At that time, His voice shook the earth, but now He has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. What is all that? That's from Haggai chapter 2. And the people that heard this understood that the shaking action of God, to shake not only the things that are on earth, but shake the things that are in heaven, was a, a symbol, figurative speech that said, I am going to pour out my just wrath and judgment upon all mankind. I'm going to shake the earth. 
just like I did at Sinai, but even more so, I'm going to shake not just the earth, but also the heavens. There's going to be a final judgment of God on all those who willingly oppose and reject His voice. We need to hear that. There should be a, a gulp in our spirit. We don't like that. right? We came to church. I needed a hug, man. I needed someone to just say, you're doing great. I needed a little positive energy, a little message in a tough world. I didn't need this. You know, what you need is the truth. That's the food for your soul. The truth of what God's Word is revealing. That if you refuse Him, and oh, by the way, refusing God is refusing His Word. We can't separate the two. Well, I love God, but I don't really like His Word. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. See, he, he and His Word are so inextricably linked. To reject His Word is to reject Him. End of story. And so we're called to listen attentively to the, the Word of the Lord, lest we reject Him. And if we, re, we reject Him, we will not escape when God, in His final moment, in redemptive history, shakes all things. And the truth is clear that in His shaking of all things, only that which is unshakable will remain. Him, His name, His people, His city, His mountain, His Son, His covenant. Only that which is eternally unable to be shaken. That is, something that is not subject to His wrath being poured out against it. Only that will remain. And so if you, if you reject His Word, you won't escape the shaking of God. That's a pretty profound warning. But it's one that we need to hear in an age of universalism. In an age which says that everyone will be saved. We need to hear this gracious warning, lest we not escape. We need to hear this. In an age of universalism that says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. In an age of universalism that says, or at the very least inclusivism that says, yeah, everyone is saved through Jesus regardless of their response to Him. Regardless of how they treat Him. Regardless of what they do as they hear the Word. They'll be fine. Because our vision of God, our understanding of God, resorts Him to some nice little cute box called God is love, but doesn't really understand the nature of divine love at all. Doesn't really understand what, the, what God has done in Christ in His love. And so grasping on for hope and clinging to false sense of security that someday, no matter what this life has been, for people, they will be saved, they will be included in the love and the experience and the joy of the kingdom of God. But the scriptures say something very different. So be careful what movies you watch and what kind of truths you get from them. That's as far as I'm going. God will judge those who reject His voice. And that's why we're on mission. That's why this gospel must be preached. The souls of men, women, and children 
hang in the balance, in the hearing and responding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because He will shake the heavens. He will shake the earth. He will pour out His judgment. And oh, by the way, for us as the people of God, this is good news, judgment. Yes, not good news to think that someone will suffer under the mighty, wrathful hand of this jealous, consuming fire we know as God. But when we look in our world and we see it for what it is, the evil, the wretchedness, the pain, the suffering, the injustice of our world, you know what we want God to do with all of that? Shake it. We want God to end it. We want God to punish it. And so this is central to our hope. That one day God will judge all evil. And God will remove it. Last night I looked into one of our children's eyes as we had a few rough moments as a family. And I said, you know what? Again, because I'm in sermon mode. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We may be shaken in the moment. But we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we need to hold on tight to this. And you know, I looked into this person's eyes. And I said, um, this is our hope. This is what we cling to. That one day, all this sin... And, 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 and things that we're feeling in the flesh, in the hurt, and the this and the that. And one day He will wipe every tear away from our eyes. One day we will be together, I said, and we will not be sinning against one another. Can you imagine that? One day we will be together and sin will be removed from our experience. This is the gospel. We want God to shake it. We want God to shake the heavens and the earth and to remove all that is evil in our world. And that's what he's saying. But for those who refuse to hear his voice, they will not escape his judgment. So here we are. Based on where God has brought us, we have an attentive ear to his voice. And the last couple things here I'm going to say and then wrap it up is this. He says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Here we are right away in that statement confronted with the fact that the kingdom that we have is one that we have received. And actually, it's in the present tense, which means let us be thankful for we are in the process right now of receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That the Christian life is an ongoing receiving of a kingdom that will not be shaken. It can't be shaken. And so what does one do with this concept of a God that is constantly providing, constantly giving, constantly pouring out His grace and mercy into our lives, which is what is getting us where He wants us to go, right? How He's bringing us to where we are. How He has brought us where we are is by His grace, by His provision, by Him dispensing to us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So how do we respond to that kind of gift and that kind of grace? How any of us respond to a, a, a gift that we find to be beautiful and wonderful. 
We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I was filling out an application this week for uh, some further study that I'm praying about and seeing what happens in the process. And I was filling it out, and they have two questions on the thing. And the first one is this. Please uh, review, uh, write a comprehensive uh, statement on your conversion, your call to ministry, your understanding of Christian doctrine, and your, com- in your ministry experience. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Jeepers, will this ever be all right? I'm just doing what I got to do. Like, boom, right? And in the middle of writing it, I'm, I'm blown away. When's the last time you did that? You sat down and said, please write down a comprehensive statement on your conversion, on your, on your, on your understanding in, uh, of Christian doctrine and belief of, of your relationship with God. When was the last time you sat down and did that? Let me tell you something. I'm sitting at this indoor soccer center weeping because of the grace of God. I'm realizing, I'm asking the question, how did I get here? In this stupid indoor soccer center. How did I get here? God's grace did it. God's grace did it. Man, what if you removed God's work in my life? If he never showed up and redeemed me in Christ, where would the trajectory of my life gone? I have absolutely no idea. And guess what? I don't want to know. But I do know this. That God showed up in my life long ago and he brought me to Zion, the city of the living God. And he's done the same for you. He's made you a citizen of heaven. And what do we do with that? Thank you, Jesus. Well, it should be a more profound application than that. There's nothing more profound than gratitude in the heart of the one who has received a gift from God. And in an age of entitlement where we think, We should have everything, period, hands down. And if we don't get exactly what we want, when we want, this is not fair. Let us be clear, you're right. It is not fair. You've been saved by grace. So let us be thankful. And last, let us offer to God acceptable worship, reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I think this is kind of an all-inclusive understanding that a God that has done this in our life is a God that we give everything. Let us worship Him. Let us serve Him. A God that has brought us where we are by His grace, through His Son, to Himself, in His city, given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A God that has done that is a God we say, hey, you got me. You bought me. You can have me. There's no aspect of my life. There's no relationship that I have. There's no dollar in my bank account. There's no attitude of my heart. There's no conversation that I have with other people that has not been claimed by you. To you be the glory. You be worshipped. Right? Because worship is not just you and me hanging out on Sundays and tipping our hat to the Holy, the Holy One of Heaven. Worship is every aspect of our life. So that's what God prompts and inspires within us. Because of where God has brought us, we respond with an attentive ear listening to his voice. We respond uh, with a thankful heart. Right? Shouldn't we be able to pay God back? No, just give him praise. Thank you, God. You did it. It wasn't me. Thank you, God. You did it. Stop feeling entitled to everything. You're not entitled to anything. 
Taxes and death, right? Um, and let us respond with a life of worship. A life of worship, a reverent life, as the slide says. An attentive ear, a grateful heart, a reverent life. Take inventory. Where are you today in relationship with God? Be reassured. You're as close as you're ever going to get because of the work of Christ and the blood of Christ. Right? Praise God. And I'm done. Let's pray. God, we give you praise. What else are we to do? How did we get here, Lord? How did we get here? For each and every one of us, the details are different, but the answer is the same. We all got here because you came to us in Christ. You brought us to yourself in your heavenly city. To you be praise and glory forevermore. I pray that every person here in the room trust Jesus with all that they are and hears these words today in a way that reassures them and warns them to not give up in their faith, to not walk away. May we be firm and steadfast in our commitment to Christ and may you give us the courage to live out our faith with endurance receiving constantly this unshakable kingdom, living by faith and grace, receiving that grace each moment to help us to live and press on. God, we just pray that you would continue to make us into what you want us to be, worshipers. Every aspect of all that we are, worshipers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.